Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I wasn't here last week because um, I was on a self-retreat, um, which is really great. Uh, both sitting with people is really good and sitting uh, just... If you've been doing it and you kind of know the territory, then uh, sitting on your own has its own uh, sweetness as well. Uh, and I went to this. Uh, I w- went to the center, this very small center. Oh yeah, gotta get this here too. Um, called Silent Stay, which is um, it's just on the the border of Napa Valley in Vacaville, um, and uh, it has like six people. The room for six people. Um, and uh, I recommend it, by the way, if you just go silent, stay. Um, and the people who, this couple that runs it, ran, um, still run a, a meditation a retreat center like that in Assisi, Italy, which they did for 12 years. You know that center? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it was recently, there was a, a, a CNN... Um, uh, list of the, the top 10 retreat centers in the world. At least that was their list. Spirit Rock was number one, by the way. Um, and their center in Assisi was on that list too. And they came back here about um, seven months ago. They opened up this center, which is kind of a, a clone of the one there. And, but they brought all their statues and art and uh, stuff so it's it's nice anyway i did this um uh self retreat um and we'd sit a, a couple of times together as a whoever was there there were a couple of other people there during the 9 days that i was there um and i'd sit, it wasn't an intensive kind of retreat as i often will do of sitting and walking and sitting and walking and just you know getting more and more uh, momentum of mindfulness. I tried to be mindful in everything I did and sat maybe, oh, about three to five times a day, usually about four or five times a day, uh, and did some uh, writing. It was great to do writing. Uh, caught up on my email for the first four days after I'd been away. So, um, uh, But I also uh, did some reading. Um, and I... Um, I've been hanging out with this book. I think I've mentioned it here once, uh, but I, uh, I've been hanging out with it for a couple of months, and this, the retreat was a lot about digesting the full impact of this book, which um, is by Andrew Harvey, um, and it's called The Hope, A Guide to sacred activism. And he's the guy, if you were here sometime in the last uh, few months, maybe you were here the, the time that I played 
through my computer, him reading Rumi about passion. Do you remember that one? Passion, 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 passion. And uh, then he riffs on, on it. And that has touched me deeply, blew my mind, opened up my heart when I first heard it a couple of years ago. And I play it regularly. Um, and then um, I uh, decided to reach out and have a conversation with him because he, he's open to that at times. And we had a rather... Um, no, rich conversation, and he said, "Okay, um, read the bo- read my book, and tell me, uh, you know, if it feels like you want to keep on hanging out, uh, read that first. And I read, I read it. Um, he's brilliant, by the way, and he knows he's brilliant, but uh, but he's also uh, knows his his his." Uh, his impatience and his uh, his arrogance at times. He writes all about that, about all the places inside that uh, that come with having a mind and a heart like he does. But it's brilliant, and I I've been really inspired as a kind of guidebook to a new area that I or that I'm I feel myself moving in. Um, and it's um, sacred activism. And he presents this very sobering, very sobering, um, and very inspiring vision of where we are now as um, as a species. And in the evolution of humanity and in our consciousness. And he doesn't hold back at all on both ends, both the sobering, overwhelming crisis of greed and fear, anger, outrage, disconnect from the natural world, um, a world gone mad, which you don't need much uh, to find a confirmation or evidence. You'd, you'd have to be, you know, closing your eyes and walling yourself off in a cave to um, to not see that aspect of where we are. A world gone mad. Um, what he calls um, being in the uh, we are in the dark night of the species. Um, and in, as I was thinking about this, thinking about the Kali Yuga, may, perhaps you're familiar with in the Hindu um, perspective, there's different <coughs> epochs of time. And uh, many have uh, talked about us being in the Kali Yuga now. There are four different yugas where epochs of time and the Kali Yuga which if you're familiar with Kali the uh, the, uh, the 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 divine dark mother that eats everything that's that's one way to think of the Kali Yuga but actually as I looked it up in Wikipedia this the the, the Kali the Kali is actually referring to 
a demonic kind of Kali, not a beneficent Kali. Uh, and uh, let me see if I have, yeah. So if we are in the Kali Yuga, this is the prophecy for events in the Kali Yuga. And in some, uh, some schemas, the Kali Yuga supposedly um, ending around 2025. Who knows? But there's others that say, no, it's happening a whole different way. But anyway, it seems like we're in the Kali Yuga. Some of the things that, that happen in the Kali Yuga. Rulers, this is the prophecy, rulers will become unreasonable. <laughs> they will levy taxes unfairly. They, rulers will no longer see it as their duty to promote spirituality or protect their subjects and will become a danger to the world. Um, people will start migrating, seeking countries where wheat and barley form the staple food source as opposed to rice. Um, uh, at the end, oh, advice, oh, av- avarice and wrath will be common. Humans will openly display animosity towards each other. Ignorance of the Dharma will occur. People will have thoughts of murder with no justification and we'll see nothing wrong in that. And we just saw, if you saw the news just in the last couple of days, those, those kids that were just bored and, and uh, shot that Australian baseball player. Uh, you know, this, is, this is the prediction. I wonder when, when it was predicted, if it wasn't like that, what that might have been like. But... Um, Anyway, as, as Andrew Harvey um, talks about this dark night of the species, the inspiration um, is that it's held in a perspective, in a context of the potential of birthing an awakening of humanity that's never been seen before. And he's not the only one that has seen that holds this, you know, if you're familiar with the harmonic convergence, there was that uh, same kind of Mayan prophecy where there'd be a window of time where there'd be a lot of lot of dukkha with the potential to shift things. Um, and that there can be through the dukkha, through the suffering, a kind of um, a new emerging of a consciousness and connection to the planet and to respect for life. He talks a lot, by the way, about how um, the divine feminine is going to be a key role in this, which I have felt for some time. Uh, The guys just haven't done such a good job. Um, And uh, talks about many, many different elements of both the death and the birth that is um, that is potentially here. Mm. So that kind of perspective gives meaning to the the tragedy and the and the heartbreak that probably um, many of us feel. It's like the system needs to crash before it can reboot. 
That's one way of thinking about it. And when I, besides looking at this, and I'm not just going to focus on this this global level, uh, but seeing it as a natural process on many, many levels of global unfolding of the species and the personal spiritual journey. And I'd like to talk a little bit about or focus a bit more on that and then we can open it up to looking at the the bigger perspective perhaps as well. But we can see the same process that as he talks about this very chaotic, confused, frightening place that the species is going through um, as an emergence, as a necessary emergence to something greater. This is exactly the process of our spiritual journey. And if you're new to this kind of stuff, um, I'm reminded of a, of a line from Trungpa Rinpoche, who is one of the most quotable beings I ever met, where he said, and I remember on one lecture, he said, the spiritual journey is fraught with perils and dangers. And so consider very carefully before you start. And then he paused for a while and he said, but once you start, it's best to finish. (laughs) And it's not that it's some kind of mistake, some kind of, you know, warped sense of humor that would set up the game like this. This is um, an essential unfolding in our lives. If you, anyone who's done a retreat, you know it's not that you sit there and say, oh, how nice it is to be with the moment, and then that's how it is for the next five or ten days. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they talk about being in the present, and how lovely, and now I have ten days to just be in the present. Oh, how cool. Yeah. God, this is better than Bali. Yeah, just, what a cool vacation. It's rare that that's somebody's experience. It can happen, and actually, it, it, it can actually happen, does happen um, at times, but it's not usually your introduction to sitting there with your mind and your heart for however long it is. And by the first, by the second day, the common question is, what am I doing here? You know, why did I sign up for this? What was I thinking? You know, or what was my friend thinking when they said it would be a good thing? Mm. There's ups and there's downs and there's challenges, and that that's an essential part of the trip because in that, how else can you discover? You have the capacity to be with everything. How else can you discover 
that you have the courage and the strength and the wisdom and the compassion and the love and the, the peace that can hold all of that, that can go through even all of, of those challenges and difficulties, how else could you find out? How else could you discover for yourself what's called verified faith, where you know absolutely the power of presence and the power of a, of a loving presence or a kind awareness? This is the, the way of this journey, and it's forged by facing the very demons that we usually distract ourselves from. It, it, through that being forged through the heat, there's a tempering, you know, like iron is tempered into steel, and a, a, a strengthening that... Um, opens you up to um, places you didn't know were there. It's one could say it's a trial by fire, you know. It not and I don't want to frighten people saying, "Oh my God, like he just said, sign up for a five day retreat." And no, no, <laughs> it's not always this, and it's not this every every moment. But there's these there's parts of it that are like this, and that are okay. There's also being present in a way that you've never seen before and waking up to being alive and waking up to your own goodness and feeling a connection with life. There's, as the saying goes, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And you get to be here and sit, sit with it all and see through it all. You know that line, uh, what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Well, it, it, not that you're going to get killed, but you're, you, you are challenged. And more and more, what happens as you go through those challenges, you have more and more confidence that it becomes less and less scary. It becomes more and more a place that you're drawn to again and again because you touch something that's so pure that you can't keep away. It's something that calls you. It's just like something has called everybody here, even if it's just out of curiosity for the first time, that has called you through whatever challenges you've gone through in your life that has pulled, kept on pulling you through and facing you in the direction of being hungry to awaken to truth or love or whatever you want to call it is a, a line that I, I like from uh, Helen Keller. She says, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened ambition inspired, and success achieved. All the world is full of suffering. It is also full of overcoming. And that's, you know, one reason why 
the Buddha starts out with a very sobering fact. There's suffering in life. He doesn't sugarcoat it. There's suffering in life. And he says, the more one can learn to open up to suffering, the more the possibility of coming to the end of suffering. And as probably many of you are familiar with his response when he's asked, he was asked, what do you teach? He says, uh, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. But you can't bypass it. You know, oh, I, you know, awakening joy sounds good. Okay, I'll just, I'll just go for feeling good. It, awakening joy is uh, an essential part of it, is opening up to all the, the difficulties and challenges in your life. I also want to mention uh, another um, classical teaching that talks about this in, a, uh, in another level besides just going through one retreat uh, where you go through your ups and downs. And that's over the course of one's spiritual journey. Um, the um, classical model of awakening in the Theravadan teachings anyway, um, uh, called the progress of insight. Then you can look this up online, it's no secret, uh, but it's a very, um, sometimes is a little warning not to, not to read too much about it because then you kind of see, oh, where am I? You know, what kind of, have I made progress? Oh no, I'm, it's like shoots and ladders and, uh, you know. Um, but, it's good to have a, a sense of the different places that one goes to um, so that you don't get confused if you, you're finding yourself not on a bliss trip, uh, even after you've been doing this for a while. And in the progress of insight, which kicks in after one has done some practice and really seen in a profound way some basic realities of life, some basic principles of life, after one is deeply moved by seeing the arising and passing of everything, what's sometimes called a mini-nibbana, a mini-enlightenment, it's so profound and and um, can be um, can be so um, uh, impactful that you know you're sure you're enlightened, uh, but you're not quite. However, you don't forget. Um, and I, as I say this, uh, I, there's the caveat: don't try to um, match yourself in the progress of insight because it doesn't always follow so neatly. But in the the classical, very neat textbook version, which is, you know, might happen sometimes and might be not quite as linear as this. But in this version, after you see that profound understanding of everything arising and and passing, you start to somehow often begin to just notice how everything is passing. And this is what's called the dissolution stage, where there's no, no 
place, no solidity, because it's all just, it's all so empty. You see the insubstantiality of everything. And where is everything? There's no solid ground, no security. And it's a very important and profound thing to see how insubstantial and empty everything is. But when the ground starts being a little less solid, it gets a little unsettling and shaky. And the next classical stages are fear, terror, like, oh my God, you know, it's all, it's all just dissolving. There's no, no place, no place to stand. Um, classically, misery, say, oh God, it's, sometimes this is called the rolling up the mat stage. Because the yogi and a, a, a retreatant, somebody doing intensive practices called yogi, um, it just wants to roll up their mat and go home. This is in India where you sit on, or in, in, uh, in Asia, where, Burma and Thailand, where you sit on mats, you know, the rolling up the mat stage. This is a very high stage of, of practice. And sometimes it can be for a little while, sometimes it can be for a very short time, Sometimes it can be for a longer time. After that, there's um, fear, terror, uh, misery, uh, loathing and disgust. <laughs> Where you just say, oh my God. You know, what was I attached to? There's nothing here. What, what was I craving so much? This is uh, in the Pali Nibbida where you see just the emptiness of it all. And um, sometimes it's, it's thought of as, as dispassion. And you see, and then that leads to um, the urge for deliverance. Like, I want freedom. I, I don't want the next ice cream cone. I see that's not going to do it for me. I want freedom. And in seeing the insubstantiality of all phenomena, you also see that your fears are insubstantial. And the terror and the misery and the whole thing is, and so you're not quite as frightened, but it's like, what is there? What's going to really do it? And you see both the 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 awful or the the ugly and the beautiful with an equanimity you see ah i don't have to it's happening on its own i don't have to what i do one way or another isn't going to change things and you sometimes open up to a a space of profound balance and equanimity around things. And out of that, that equanimity is the precursor to freedom, to liberation, to nibbana, the unconditioned, which can have a number, it can look a number of different ways. But 
All of this, I, I want to say, not to scare you, if you're going through terror, lo- loathing, and disgust, it makes it a little bit more comforting to know, oh, this could be a very high place in practice <laughs> rather than I am just some pathetic kind of a spiritual failure that in touching that kind of immediacy and intensity and letting your heart be broken that you are going through a very necessary fire. As I say, for some people it can be quick, for some people it can be a bit longer, but as long as you keep on with your sincerity of the direction that you're going for and that desire for freedom, it must be answered. Um, And this also, this progress of insight corresponds to the classical archetypal depiction of the journey uh, that uh, Joseph Campbell wrote about, the hero's journey, which is a, a really remarkable understanding and insight in the, the journey of the human to freedom, where Joseph Campbell um, looked at all the great myths in our uh, in our human culture, from uh, mythology um, uh, to um, various fairy tales and, and folk tales. And the hero's journey starts out with, um, there's a quest that motivates somebody out of their kind of complacent routine. It says, yes, I'm going for there's something more. And in that quest, uh, they encounter hardship. This is probably, you know, every action movie that you see is based on this. Uh, and in that hardship, you are um, rubbed against, uh, thrown against the great challenges, the great test. The, the dark night of the soul. And through that, there is victorious triumph. The hero or the heroine wins and there's, or there's freedom. And this is the same whether it's like Perseus in, in, in mythology or, or all the great heroes or heroines in mythology uh, or uh, Ulysses or um, the Buddha going through his quest, and there he is just before he's enlightened. There's Mara kind of throwing everything at him after he's gone through six years of the most intense asceticism and hardship. And there he is, and Mara saying, who the heck do you think you are? What makes you think you have the right? And he tries to frighten him, and he tries to seduce him and uh, but then uh, with, with visions, but then he gives him doubt, the last one is doubt, and the Buddha touches the earth and becomes enlightened. By all the work that I have done, I know I have the right to be here. Where Jesus on the cross, going, all to, going through crucifixion and getting to the point where he says, why hast thou forsaken me? 
And then there is the resurrection. Or in modern, uh, modern representation, the Star Wars movies. You know, Luke Skywalker, the ultimate hero's journey. You know, the Empire Strikes Back. That's the real good one. Where he's going through his training and Yoda is saying, hey, just slow down a bit. You know, you've got to slow down. And, and, but Luke is impatient. He's got that Im, you know, impetuosity. And uh, he says, I've got to do it. I've got to, I'm ready. I've got to do it. And he says, okay, you're ready. You take that lightsaber, go in that, that cave and face your darkest demons. And hopefully one of you will come out alive. Yeah. And that's how he became, becomes a Jedi Master. That's how one becomes a Jedi Master, by facing your greatest demons. Or the, the recent Hunger Games, is a, if you saw the Hunger Games, it was pretty cool. I don't see many action movies, but I did see that one, and it was pretty cool. There she was, Katnip, Katniss Everdeen, you know, kind of finally making it through. This is the path. This is the path. And there's no way around it. And Andrew Harvey makes the point, he says, both on a personal level and on a global level, we have to let our hearts be shattered. We have to be willing to let our hearts be shattered. You can't, protect your, you can't protect yourself anyway. You might try to and say, oh no, I can't bear it anymore. And sometimes it's the important thing to do to protect yourself because it's so overwhelming. But at some point when you have the courage to become a, a warrior for goodness, a, a, a sacred activist, you have to let your heart be broken. And in that breaking, it breaks open, just like on retreat. It breaks open to all the possibilities inside. It's this incredible paradox that in our protection, we cut ourselves off from all the good stuff in there. But when we let ourselves be broken open and shattered. When we get to the point where we, f- we say, finally, I give up. And we feel like we've hit the bottom, hit rock bottom. That's the time that we're reborn. That's the time where the ego, I, really gives up and surrenders and something mystical comes in but it takes our willingness to be shattered and that means being shattered on not only a personal level but also on a global level and coming through the other side and being a warrior for goodness and peace and what he says, and he, in this beautiful presentation of 
the death leading to the rebirth. As he says, he talks about all the, the, the awful conditions that are part of our death. But on our rebirth, all of these aspects that have never been here before. And I'll just mention the, the, some of the, the seven most important features of the birth, just to give you a little bit of uplift. You guys see this? That uh, the crisis itself and the response to it, you know, that crisis brings, demands a response and people are responding and waking up in a way that has never happened before in this, in this human experiment. Never happened before. As my friend Roger Walsh says, we're in a, a race between fear and consciousness. Who knows who's going to win? If we have enough time, I always think that, f- that consciousness trumps fear. But whatever, the, the darkness brings out the light. So the crisis and our response to it. And one of the responses, he, he talks about uh, Paul Hawkins' book, Blessed Unrest, who um, uh, set out to find just how many progressive movements devoted to environment, human rights, gay and lesbian rights, uh, animal rights, and so on, have been sparked by where we are. And he discovered, he calculated that there are between one and two million organizations on the earth now actively working toward ecological sustainability and social justice. In his book, Blessed Unrest, it's, this is not just kind of hypothetical. He goes out and takes a look and sees what's out there. That's a little encouraging, isn't it? That the technologies, as destructive as the technologies have been, they're also uh, leading to possibilities that have never happened before. Instant access to all information that has ever been. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about that. Oh, what's the key word here? Ah, and there's all the information that has ever been. Never before in this planet has that been available. And not only available to some, but as he says, new forms of de- democratizing media, that is, it's available to all, and it doesn't matter what the powers that try to control things are, the jig is up. There's, you know, the, 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 the cat is out of the bag. There can be tri- uh, attempts at suppression, but it's too late for that. It's available to all. The mystical renaissance, that there has not ever been a renaissance of spirituality that's not just defined by one doctrine or dogma, but goes way beyond any one religion to the point where it's, it's, it's emerged above 
organized religion and in this renaissance of spirituality. The evolving philosophy of nonviolence, which has just in the last hundred or so years with Gandhi and then Martin Luther King and um, the Dalai Lama and, 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 uh, and Nelson Mandela, and there, that there's, there's new ways of dealing with um, our, our struggle for sanity uh, in, in this insane world. Nonviolence, the power of nonviolence. The return of the divine feminine, which, as we can see, just in the last 50 years, the feminist movement being such a key thing in this bringing more compassion and more love and more understanding to the world uh, and more and more growing in its power. And then the last, as he calls it, the divine willing and blessing the birth of the divine human. And that gets into a a, a kind of a mystical thing. Where, but he's saying, if you look at all the signs, there is this birthing of a consciousness that wants to more and more manifest through all of us, through all of the ones who are sacred activists. And he talks about letting your heart be shattered, not just as the bad news, but that it becomes the doorway to how much you feel and care and are connected with life. That, and as he says, if you want to know what to do, where can I, how can I contribute in this world? He says, follow your heartbreak. Follow where your heart is broken which might be gay rights, might be human rights, might be animal rights, might be um, ec- the environment, it might be so many, so many to choose from. Follow your heartbreak because that's where the juice is. That's where the, that's where the aliveness is right there if you, if you let it lead you. And out of that, there is this sense of joy in letting all your frustration and fear and and anger be transmuted into love, into caring and into compassion, into making a difference that awakens that in others that you touch. So I want to just ask for a moment, you know, as I stop my speaking, just to reflect for a moment inside and uh, see where your heart has been broken, how your heart has been broken, whether it's some personal challenge that you've gone through or your heart broken by picking up a newspaper and what really touches you or gets to you. Letting yourself, first for a moment, just breathe 
just breathe. You, you need to breathe. You need to do all the, I'll give all the space and have support of all that you can. You can't just do this all in one, one moment or session, but just a little at a time and see, like in the Tibetan practice of Tang Len, that it's possible to, to, to take in the suffering and have it held with something much deeper than that suffering, with the, the beautiful seed of enlightenment, your bodhicitta, your, your true nature that can hold with compassion your broken heart. And seeing what either you've learned from heartbreak in the past, you might reflect on that for a moment before we go on. Just heartbreaks in the past, what have you learned? How have you gotten stronger? How have they supported you in your development? How have you discovered places inside that you didn't know possible that were there. To connect with some verified faith for just a few moments. And then in your breaking heart, wherever it might be these days, maybe somebody that you care about going through a hard time or a law or going through a grieving or loss or some challenge, something that touches you. What can you, how can you possibly envision awakening to a new level of empowerment? To a new level of wise, loving response. To a a new level of awakening that not only benefits you, but everybody who meets that awakened heart. Don't be afraid to touch it. Touch it in whatever doses work for you. And if it gets too overwhelming, then you can always back off. But don't be afraid to touch it. Because right in there is the secret. Right in there is the possibility of transformation. Right in there is the hero's journey or heroine's journey that you're on and that we're all sharing together.
and celebrate that you're on this journey. As scary as it can get sometimes, as scary as the world might seem sometimes, there's transformation, there's the dying and the being reborn on every level from personal to global. And what an amazing, amazing opportunity and gift that we are given, that joyful responsibility that we are given as we go through this together. Seeing how it's uh, near the end of the evening, we'll just close with sharing a merit. May our own journey be used for the benefit of all beings. May we awaken to the courage and the strength and the love and the wisdom that can hold all of the dark, frightening places. May confusion be born as wisdom, confusion dawn as wisdom. And may our own practice be a gift to everyone in our lives and the world and the planet that so welcomes us in that way. Thank you for your attention. Sorry we didn't have time for discussion, but uh, that was what was coming out this evening. Have a good week and uh, share your practice with the world. See you in a couple of weeks.